Hey, everybody, welcome back to the podcast. Uh, before you listen to this episode, if you haven't listened to the one before it, you might want to go back and uh, and go through that one first, because some of this, uh, some of the things we talk about in this episode are going to be a bit of a continuation from the last one. We're going to hit some topics of of suffering, but we're also going to be talking about heroes and things that we um, maybe need to start looking at and realizing in, in the character of our heroes. But a lot of it is built on the last one. So one more time, if you haven't listened to it, uh, you might want to go back and check out that episode. So there's your disclosure, your disclaimer. Uh, proceed to listen at your own risk. As we were talking earlier, I think it's going to be uh, interesting to go, go into this one and to break through a couple ideas. And we were talking about suffering before, but I, I think the title of this whole thing is why do we need heroes? And I think this, this all ties together very importantly. And I'm going to just give a little quick story. We've, uh, started a group on Sunday morning of, um, a group of young people that came to us and asked, we want to know God. And it was birthed out of these, all of their backgrounds is Buddhist. So they've grown up culturally Buddhist in a Buddhist country and all of those things. And they started breaking down all of the, the beliefs, the practices, um, the cultural anomalies, the things that they just do because it's, it's Buddhist. And it was very enlightening to me. And rather than, you know, it's easy to say, well, this is what's true. That's not true. I think is really a wrong approach versus tell me what it is. Tell me, walk me through the process. Walk me through some basics of what's the end goal with this. So they start talking about the different lives and every time you die, you're reborn and then you die and then you're reborn. And each time you start rising up the different levels till you basically move from being a natural body into being a spiritual body uh, an angelic body, and then you keep moving up the ranks, and there's different levels within that till you finally hit nirvana of absolute emptiness. And I could not wrap my head around why that's a goal. Now, rather than stating my misunderstanding or my deep desire to not be that, I want to know where does that come from? And they said, Our whole world is filled with suffering. And Everything in suffering is basically, as you go through these stages, you have less suffering and less suffering and less suffering until you hit the point of the final cycle of life where you have no suffering. And so in that no suffering, I said, how do you have no suffering? And they were explaining, if you have no emotional connection to anything, that you're just empty, you can't suffer because nothing can be taken away. You desire nothing. You are absolute in a state of bliss because there is zero suffering, but you also have zero emotion. Like you're empty of all that. And I'm sitting there going, okay, and then what? And they said, then you start the cycle all over again at the bottom. And I said, so for eternity, you have to work all these way up to finally get to no suffering, that once you finally hit no suffering, then you have to start over with the heaviest of suffering and go back through the cycle again. They said, yeah. And I said, please forgive me, but why would anyone want to live like that? And part of it is just the cultural training and the, the thinking. Um, 
And it's interesting. There's probably some truths in, in those. There's always truths in things. And so there's some truths in that that can be walked through. And I just, I saw this cycle going on and on. And as we started talking more, I said, why do you want to know God? And they said, there has to be some bigger meaning. We want to know God. It's interesting. They didn't want to know about God. They didn't want to know the rules of God. They didn't want to know all the steps of God. Because what they've observed is the, the religions of the world, whether it be Christianity, Islam, Buddhism, there's all these practices that you have to do. And when you finally arrive at that practice, then the monk or leader will give you more rules because they have nine reasons why that one didn't work. And then they give more and then they give more and give more. And they all came to this conclusion. They're just making things up because they don't know. We just want to know God. And so it was a very fascinating uh, idea. And keep in mind, in Buddhism, there is no God. It's just consciousness. And I just think it's interesting when we start listening to people that actually live in the culture versus someone who comes and just shares the points about it, you actually get a depth of this. And I said, what has been your life like? He said, there is no peace. Your heart is always in a state of no peace. When I said, but isn't this supposed to be the peaceful belief? And they said, on the outside, but it's, tor it's tormenting on the inside. And so... This is just coming from a group of kids that are grew up in this. And so it was very interesting learning. And so I think it ties very well into what we're talking about today. And I kept bringing them back to the whole key is to know God in that pursuit, not to know about him, which is helpful, not to know the rules of him, which you'll probably do some rules in the sense that out of relationship, you do those things, but that deepness of wanting to know God as a personally and in a relational form. I thought that was just really you know, uh, do, interesting. Do you think that we've kind of made Christianity into that a little bit to where the relationship with God is, I mean, kind of the goal, the whole point of it is to get less and less suffering. And in some circles, it's the better you are at following the rules, the better your life is going to be. So the better you are at following these five, ten... 12, 613 rules, whatever it is, the less suffering you're going to have. But we, we call it peace instead of a lack of emotion. We say the more peace you're going to have. And, and there's a lot of truth to that. I'm not anti-peace, obviously. God brings a lot of peace, and I've experienced that. But, but we kind of make that our picture of heaven. Once you get there, there's no pain, there's no suffering, there's no crying, there's, there's nothing wrong at all. And, and it's and there's truth to that, but but it's almost like we paint this picture of there's nothing wrong and there's nothing to do except for be on your cloud or be in your mansion and worship God for eternity. And I think what people kind of get planted in the back of their minds, and maybe we don't even realize it, is that doesn't sound like a very appealing thing. That actually sounds more like this idea of I'm detached from things. And especially when we've made our interaction with the world around us so much about the suffering we go through and so much about the problems, where that's, you know, probably 70 to 90% of our attachment to things that we interact with daily is based on the suffering and the problems that it brings to us. And so if you remove all that, now you don't have an emotional connection to things because the only things you were connected to are now gone because you're in heaven. 
And we're left in this, this kind of a predicament. And really, how much different is it than Buddhism and other religions? I mean, we've got differences, and we've got different characters and things like that. But ultimately, some of the emotions are pointing at the same things. And I've got to wonder if that does a bit of a disservice to what a relationship with God truly is. When you were commenting on the word peace, I think it's it's interesting our, how every word can be hijacked and bring a different meaning yeah. and be changed. And so a lot of times we just in daily life, think about terms you once used now are bad terms or, or bad terms are now good terms and how culture kind of changes terms of use. But the word peace from a biblical point means wholeness and completeness. And ultimately, that's the end desire. If I'm in that place, I will finally feel wholeness. Now, granted, I'm given one perspective of these kids talking about this, but even just like every belief, there is thousands of variations of what all this means. I've heard once that said the end goal that over all those cycles of life, you finally discover who you really are. So I've had that aspect explained to me. I've also heard the emptiness with no suffering. And I think it's interesting, I've said this before, if we live our life to get to heaven, and by the way, let me just put a disclaimer, I absolutely believe in ruling and reigning with him for eternity in a heavenly place, and yeah. I also believe yeah. in a hell. And But not for the reasons that people have used those for fear tactics. It just becomes a reality. I either want to be with God for the rest of my life, or I don't. Those are the two separations. So if you don't want to be with him now, why would you want to spend eternity with him? But if it's just about getting out of suffering and living in a better place, you won't even care if he's there or not, because the only reason that's connecting you to him now is the suffering and the pain. So when you get to heaven, it would have to have suffering and pain in order for you to keep that connection going, because if that was removed, you wouldn't need him anyway. And I think there's dynamics that we need to shift in our thinking. So if the word peace actually means wholeness and completeness, and I find it fascinating that in the one thing that in the book of John it talks about, you have the right to become a son of God. It talks about being born again. We don't like that term. We like to use follower of Christ or I'm a disciple of Christ or uh, some other terms that don't use that that idea of born again, but you have to understand in a lot depth of a lot of r most religious beliefs, the born again is a critical factor. It, it, it is essence because when you die, you're born into something new. You're, you become something new. And so being born again is critical. And Jesus was sharing the kingdom of God and those that believed had that access right now. And you become, you, you discover who you are right now. Now you have to live out what you are. But you're actually giving your identity and you're given uh, a new life now. That you become a physical and a spiritual being born again now. And then we get a resurrected body later. So it's, all of these are so similar. And it's interesting when people try to, all of these things are just so similar. But that brings us all the way back to the suffering question. So I thought that would kind of open up. What is the journey? What is the heart's journey? And what, have, what has man and religious teach, teachings attempted to do? And I do find, I'll leave this one point. There's that verse, the famous verse that when Bible school that we 
Bible or not Bible school, but in elementary school and the Christian private schooling I went to, we had to memorize a verse. So we would all go find John where Jesus wept. That was the one because Classic. you can easily remember it because it's only two words, right? But often we don't recognize why Jesus actually wept. He wept because the people of Jerusalem would not accept his peace. Like he was trying to give them peace and they would not accept. Do they not know I've come to give them peace? Wholeness, completeness, your identity, you're fulfilled. Now we can actually live. And so I thought that's a powerful um, idea that that's what grieved Jesus the most was they just couldn't see that he was trying to bring them into what they actually were and birthing them into a kingdom that was provided for them, but they couldn't recognize that. So, so if everything in our, in our ideology, everything in our belief system is based around the idea of removing suffering or getting less of it, then, then how are we connecting with heroes and things that they suffered or what they've gone through? Because it seems as if there's, there's almost like a, a, either a discounting of their suffering or a detachment from it because it's not something that we can relate to. I think it's interesting the word suffer has, there's two aspects under it in the Greek concept is to be under something and to be inferior. So whatever your experience you feel under and you feel inferior to. Now where the suffering comes in is when you undergo and you begin pressing against that. And you begin rising out of that. Or you're resisting that. Or you're, you're pressing. That's where the suffering begins. Because it's interesting in the Greek, um, there's another word that corresponds with suffering. And it means freedom from suffering. So the Greek word for freedom from suf- suffering is apathos which is where we get apathy. It means without feeling. So if you want to be free from suffering, don't feel anymore. Isn't that, because that is really kind of one of the end goals for, in the Buddhist thought, is you just don't feel. So therefore you can't suffer. But I I find it interesting that we get locked on those two ideas, and we do that even in Christianity as well, and we've talked about that before, the difference, the difference between relief and deliverance is what, what I think we're missing the bigger question. Therefore, um, the idea of being heroic and the idea of transformation and the idea of a new life, that becomes critical, but we're not really looking for a new life so we don't feel anymore. We want to fully feel. We want to fully have his joy, fully have his love, fully have his pleasure. We want to fully experience all of these emotions being dictated by the right environment. But then when the suffering and those those things come against us, maybe those emotions are actually designed to keep us at peace. Because it says he will keep him at perfect peace whose mind is stayed on him because he trusts in him. So that was in Isaiah. So there's this place of per- perfect peace because of the relationship you have. So I find it interesting it's the relationship that really is the critical point in dealing with suffering. And I don't think we should just deal with suffering as a blanket topic, because if you do that, then you have to deal with apathy. And so 
if we deal with apathy, uh, and and honestly, that almost becomes the feeling of what you get when you go to heaven is now you become apathetic because you won't have, you really don't need love because there won't be hate. You don't really need any of those things based on the definitions we, we've, we've, we've talked about. And there's a much, right. I think there's a much better understanding of this, but just based on those definitions, something's kind of amiss in that whole idea. Do you think that's something we've missed from from learning from these examples of heroes throughout our history? Because when, when I look at this idea of, of suffering and the emotions it's connected to, the majority of people, I think, opt into the side of how can I avoid that painful emotion of suffering? And so how can I disconnect that emotion? And we have a lot of things that help us disconnect from our emotions, even things that are not even just the extreme things that we would think of drugs and alcohol, even though that's a, a prime example of it. But there's a lot of little things that are maybe less or more acceptable in our culture, but equally as effective at disconnecting the emotion. And, and we think it's disconnecting us from the suffering. Whereas when I look at these heroes, they weren't they weren't necessarily looking to avoid suffering and disconnect their emotion. They were willing to go through it because they held on to something that was bigger than it. And so it wasn't it wasn't a man life is hard. How can I, you know, drink a little bit to avoid it and avoid the emotions and avoid the suffering of it, which ultimately just you know, it doesn't really help in the long run. But they were they were willing to endure the suffering, you can say. They were willing to go through it. Well, and I think the, the maybe the perspective that has to be looked at is they weren't battling suffering itself. Yeah. Yeah. We, when you have beliefs that are built on battling the suffering issue... Right, because isn't that the big question? Is if God is so good and He's the Creator, why did He create suffering? This seems mm-hmm. to be that mankind's deep, deep question: Is why is there suffering if if you're so good? If you're so good, why'd you do these things? I I'm really coming to the place. I don't think we've made suffering too much of the central topic versus just the the. It's almost like the river that you have to cross, versus the end goal or the um the main topic it's not the centerpiece it is a result of a centerpiece so if we go back to this point of feeling inferior under that's what suffering does to you is it presses you down so you feel inferior and under so just ponder that for a moment whenever you feel down when you feel discouraged when you feel um all the negative emotions and you want to either lash out or run or check out, it's because you're feeling inferior and under. Contrary to glory, which shows you as complete, valuable, significant in a, in a God sense, in a, in a uh, heightened. So you're ba- basically made above, lifted, null and complete. So that's glory. And then you have suffering. So could it be that the suffering is just a tool to prevent you from seeing what you really are? Hmm. And if we look at it from that aspect, so think about it when you brought up the, the children. Come, Jesus said, don't suffer the children to come unto me. 
was he not really saying, don't be the barrier that's holding them back, making them inferior and incomplete from coming to me, which would be the suffering. And if we maybe put it into that context, then we can maybe start walking through some of these other uh, perspectives, which brings us back to Job, where in James it talks about, uh, indeed we count them blessed to endure. You've heard of my, the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord. So with all of us, there's this intended end for our life that's glorious, which you're complete, you're whole, you're at peace, you are uh, no longer inferior, you're no longer under, but you're actually ruling over and you're confident in a right perspective, right? So that would be the end goal that he sees for each one of our lives. Yet we have this suffering, this emerging. So if you have a, a woman that's pregnant and she's about, she goes into labor and since, um, I just remember the stand-up of Bill Cosby when he said that my wife was trying to explain child childbirthing and he, he was trying to be empathetic and she she said, let me grab your bottom lip and rip it up over the top of your head so you can understand what this feels like. So as a guy, I don't know what that feels like, <laughs> but there, there's something joyous not necessarily in the specific moment of the resistance from the baby leaving the womb and entering the world. So it's not necessarily that that part, you're thinking of all this joy. But in the build-up to it, there's this joy of giving birth to something. Then the labor hits. Then all of that, just all of, all of, the, all of the suffering that's taking place. Then the baby's birthed. But not often do you, you it's not that the, the woman forgets what that pain was like, because there's, there's, there's a reminder of it, but the joy of what was birthed was so worth it. It was so worth it. And so, and I, I'm speaking not by experience, but just being around having two children born and, and that whole process. So women would probably have a much better explanation of this, but that's the transition of suffering. If we look at it more as the birthing of one thing into another versus the uh, being permanently in a state of labor, please remove this problem um, with no joy on the other end, I think we've resolved ourselves to a lot of that. And, and the true thing is what's on the other side. And the more that becomes, the more you know what's going to be happening in that, the more you know what you're becoming, the more you know that, and that becomes the bigger reality. I want to have a child this really just becomes a temporary barrier to get to that point. And I think that might be a better perspective to look at that in my eyes. Does that, does that change how we look at um, specifically Job as a hero in the Bible? Because we kind of look at him as just a punching bag in history. This guy that, that had all this stuff thrown at him, and some people will say it was from God, some people will say it was from the enemy and some people, his, his friends at the time were saying, well, this is something you brought on yourself. So he's got kind of removing the reasons or, or, or the who done it, the who can we point the finger at behind it. But his, his suffering at the time, it, it, it really was that, that kind of process you're describing, even if he didn't realize it at the time, because there were things going on behind the scenes that he didn't understand. 
and yet we'll look at him and criticize him for not responding in a way that we think he should have responded, us having read the entire story and seen it. But it's interesting to me that he's he is called steadfast. Well, the other thing we also add into it is we identify only with his sufferings. Like <clears throat> right. we spend all our time on, well, look at Job. He had to suffer these things. Look at Job. That's like spending all the time. You have all these children that you, let's say you have a couple wonderful children, they're raised, and all you ever talk to them about is that childbirth. Right. Do you know what you pay, know how much how pain you caused me? Do you know the suffering that I went through? Do you know the misery that I went through? Do you know all these things that I went through? If you did that to your child long enough, they would almost want to hang themselves. Like, wow, yeah. I really am just the, your problem. Like, you wouldn't, you don't do that. Like, you remember it, you laugh, and you have some memories. But what you're remembering is the birth of of these kids. So I think we use that also. Uh, in addition to what you were saying is identifying what he did wrong, but also in the sense of identifying of that the suffering is the central theme. Exactly. And we'll spread out that that moment of suffering in his story into a lifetime. Like if if I if I had a dollar for every time I've heard ever, someone, you know, claiming, you know, that they're a modern day Job or, you know, I'm going through stuff just like Job, as if that was his entire life and his entire existence. And so it's no wonder that we 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 label him as a bit differently and in a in a hero sense in history and in scripture because all that we relate to is the suffering and the pain and he didn't know what was going on and so I don't know what's going on and so uh, but maybe God's going to bring some good out of it at some point I just don't know. And we we cut out the most important parts of his story. We, we leave out at the end where his eyes are open and he starts to see things and he repents for what he was going through before and he makes a sacrifice for his friends and all these things happen, but we, we don't ever allow our story to get to that point or even to get further than that point because him being in our, in our history, we're supposed to go further and see things and, and understand things on a deeper level. We're supposed to at least, and yet for some reason we've projected all of these flaws onto his story and taken every flaw from his story and adopted it as our own. And then we're just left in this cycle of, well, I guess life just sucks. So who knows what's going to happen next? Or if we just leave it into the sweet by and by, like, I, I, I like what David says, I would have lost hope if I would not have believed the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Like he wasn't looking for an eternal thing. He was looking to see God and that relationship revealed in this problem or in this situation. And then, you know, we could sit and say, yeah, but not all these situations turn out right. Look at how many people believe God and then it still happened or X, Y, and Z took place or that didn't work where they tried it that way. I, I just have to say, you're, you're not in their story. You're observing a story, but you're not in their story. And I, I think it becomes important with that, but we don't read the last book of the last chapter of Job. I mean, how much time do we spend on what he became? I mean, really, the story of Job is the journey of someone who wants to know God and wants to do the practices of God and fears God, knows he's respected and knows he's distant, knows that he's the creator, but they don't really know him. So they're trying to do all the things and the misery that that takes place until he meets God. When Job meets God, he becomes something different. 
And it really is the process of almost a new birth. Like in that process, he recognizes these things can't get me there. It's miserable. But look at who you are. And it says that Job restored, the Lord restored Job's losses when he prayed for his friends. Job had spent his life praying and sacrificing for safety of his family out of fear that something bad was going to happen, that God wouldn't hear him, that God wouldn't honor him. So he did all of these things in respect towards God, but he didn't know God. And so he was always doing all these works to try to make sure everything's right. And then when things still collapsed, there was a baffling of what's going on. But when he finally met God, something takes place. So no longer did Job have to offer sacrifices for himself. God didn't tell Job, go offer a sacrifice for the result of what you've done wrong. Go offer a sacrifice for not knowing me. He said, go offer a sacrifice for your friends because your friends were wrong. So now all of a sudden Job is lifted beyond the suffering. He's now elevated from being inferior and under to now he becomes the hero to his friends. And all of a sudden he offers something and sacrifices for his friends, not for himself, not for his own personal life, not for his own personal gain, not for his own whatever he can get. He's already taken care of. Now he's able to extend out. So here's what happened at the end in verse 12. Now the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning, for he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, 1,000 female donkeys. He also had seven sons and three daughters. And he called the name of the first, and he goes through the names. In all the land were found no women so beautiful as the daughters of Job, and their father gave them an inheritance among the brothers. I think this is really powerful. He got free, and now he went against tradition and actually gave inheritance to his daughters and his sons. This is really powerful culturally what he did there. And after this, Job lived 140 years and saw his children and grandchildren for four generations. So Job died old and full of days. Theologians talk about that suffering time based on his age lasted about six months. Six months. Okay, let's say they're wrong. Let's say it was two years. Let's say it was four years. Even But that, it wasn't yeah. this huge amount of time. That's like, that's like going to, to school, high school. Miserable, painful suffering for the four years, and then you're done. So he goes through this, and his life is more fulfilled, more blessed, more taken care of. And this isn't a prosperity message that if you do these things, this is going to come. No, in a sense, he rose above the suffering... And glory of the glory of God was revealed in him and a relationship with God formed. And now he lived. He still didn't care about how much stuff he had. He still was looking, how do I give this to my offspring and my children's children? He still wasn't thinking about himself. So in an essence, a part of him that created a lot of the suffering had died off, but he still had love, passion, joy, all of those things were remained, and he was at peace. And I just think that's a real, we, we, we forget all that. I was going to say, do you think part of the problem is that we will read through these stories and we'll kind of insert ourselves into a point of it and then stop? Like, oh man, Job was suffering through all these ailments. Well, I got something going on. I can sure relate to Job. 
oh man, Moses had a temper and he did something wrong. He hurt, he killed somebody. Man, I've got some anger issues. I can sure relate to that. Oh, David wasn't at war when he, sh- he was at home when he should have been out. I can really relate to that. I put myself in, so, and we go through all of these things. I can relate to that person. I can relate to that flaw. And how often do we look at what they became and realize we are a continuation of that? Or at least we're meant to be a continu- a continuation of that. Because doesn't it say in Hebrews, they're all complete. This is they're not complete without us. They are the crowd of witnesses that are that are uh, encouraging us to go further than they did because they didn't receive what we have received. And yet we'll stop in the middle of these stories, in the worst parts of these stories too, and and put that same label on ourselves. So maybe there's there's something deeper we need to see in these heroes, but maybe there's something deeper we need to see in ourselves. Do you think we bought into the results of suffering that we are inferior, we are less than, and we'll always be under, and so we look to things to find coping mechanisms? Because even as we're talking about heroes, the moment someone rises above and their life changes, how often do we spend time critiquing and tearing down all their flaws? This was very interesting. I went to, we were with a group of guys and uh, the question came up. I, I had them, um, I had to do the icebreaker. So I had them pick a hero. What was a hero that you admired when you were 10, 12 years old? What was one that you admired when you're in high school? And what was one you admire today? And what were the similarities? And so they're going around talking about the different heroes and people they admire. It could be a, a, a friend. It could have been a parent. It, you know, it could be a, cartoon it could be whatever but there's characteristics in those those heroes that they admired and it was kind of drawing them up and uh if we get into that i'll get to more but to tie this to this question of suffering i said i wrote on a piece of paper someone that they did not list as a hero and it was jesus and it was fascinating all these guys are in ministry they do some level of ministry, and Jesus wasn't a hero. And finally, one of them said, you know what? All these years, I deeply, like if Jesus came into the room and I physically was with him, I would look at him as more of just someone of kingly high stature that I wouldn't want to interrupt, and I would I'd respect and revere and honor, but to relate to him, I realized I don't do that. So we looked at all these other characters, and I said, what about Old Testament characters? None of you mentioned any of the Old Testament characters. And one of them said, if I can just be truly honest, these guys are so banged up and flawed, I don't even want to be like them. And mm. I said, why is that? And he said, well, maybe because I am so much too that it just keeps reminding me of what I'm not. I, wa- I, I want them to rise up to something different. And I'm realizing, how did we get to the place that we have taken our models and our heroes and we've discarded them because it's not fitting the narrative that we think it should be. And why have we come to the point that being a hero is a, a person of behavioral perfection? How have we gotten to that point? Why have we spent hmm. more years finding the flaws? You think about it growing up. We've spent more years finding the flaws of characters of the Bible than finding their strengths and their admiration in the things to go after. 
Why have we done that? Now, is there something to learn from their flaws? Absolutely. But the reason their flaws become much more apparent is because we look at life through a 20, we look, we're looking back at it from the start to finish, but you weren't standing there. You weren't, you weren't going into battle mm-hmm. month after month and, and facing an enemy and watching the men around you die and watching the men around and just being in those conflicts, whether it was King David or you weren't, you weren't growing up as Samson when everyone around was under the persecution and oppression and you're finally telling them they could be free and they don't want it and you're free and you don't relate to any of that and you're rejected and you're pushed aside and you weren't Rahab the harlot of you're, you're a prostitute, but yet you chose to believe and you rose up and then you gave birth to Boaz and then you gave, you end up bringing forth, that's when Ruth comes in and we see Jesus' ancestry coming through those all these groups of people that were heroic. They were, they were tattered lives, but they went through this process. They decided to press against the places they felt inferior and under and believe something beyond that. And that drove them through that veil. It drove them through that birth canal into something different. But rather, we would rather focus on all the suffering because I think we're afraid to say we could be, we're greater than what we have believed. I think we're afraid to, to acknowledge that someone in our sphere can actually do something great and be flawed. Right? Aren't we telling to, tearing down every mm-hmm. historical person with their flaws? Let me just ask you a true question. Who yeah. can honestly stand there and tear it down? There isn't anyone that doesn't have a, just as much moral baggage and heart intentions and all those things. No, they're responding to suffering. And suffering is the key thing versus the hope behind the suffering, the hope beyond it. That's always been such a weird thing for me to be picturing, that we we fear something because of its goodness, because of its its honor, because of its incredible power to make a change. And we're for, it doesn't make sense that people would fear it and resent it and even fight against it and try to diminish it. It just, it doesn't make any logical sense. You would think as a person, we would understand, okay, everyone's got flaws, but we also have a lot of incredible great things about us. And yet we will spend, there are people that will spend countless hours, countless days and weeks combing through someone's history to find one flaw that they can expose out of years, sometimes decades of, of good deeds, of heroics, of groundbreaking things, of changing the world the best way they can, we'll look and find one flaw, expose that, and magnify it to such a degree that that person gets torn down. I don't, and what, what is the end goal of that? Are you looking for people that have no flaws? Because like you said, there's no one that can stand there and, and, and tear these things down. It's, it's a he without sin cast the first stone situation. I mean, I don't understand what the end game is for that thing. Besides, besides it being a, 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 um, an act from an orphaned heart desperately trying to get acceptance and, and possibly gain power over other people. 
because I have to tear something else down so that there's a vacuum of something that I can then take for myself. Or maybe it helps me settle in with some of my insecurities if I can bring these people lower and lower. This is so good. It, it, it's so good to understand this and to, to bring that to light because I think, I think we're missing the bigger elements of life. We're, we're missing life itself because this is where either apathy right? Because we have, we've, we have a culture so apathetic. And anytime a hero rises, someone steps beyond the apathy. Man, we, we almost don't like it because we've embraced the apathy. Because if I have to look at you as a hero, that means I have to go re-back, I have to go back and reface those things that I've become apathetic towards. And, and that, that is hard for many of us. We finally build a sense of temporal comfort and and rest, or we find some sense of solace in the midst of everything, then we, when we see a hero rise above it, man, I, I don't know if we like that. Because now it's going to say to us, there's something more beyond. And it's almost like we fight what could be beyond. And so then we target all the suffering. And it would be easier just to tear them down or tear her down into something that is incomplete. Like, go read the story of any of the heroes. Go read George Washington Carver. Unbelievable, amazing man. Why don't we highlight him today? Why is he not a centerpiece of absolute human victory over struggle? But there was something in, there was a deep desire in him when you go read his story a deep desire to know how things work, to know creation, to know the creator, to, to understand how things function. This deep desire to know this is the thing that propelled him through all that suffering. But you know what would have kept him from having to deal with a lot of the suffering? Was to kill that. And I think there's just this weird paradox going on that the things that we need most is the meaning of life, a deep passion for life, our calling, our purpose, our identity. But the moment we get it, now we have to face not just suffering in the sense of normalcy, but a different suffering because where that's going to take us is beyond a barrier. And that becomes a scary place for many of us. That becomes a, a very almost dangerous place. But the deeper that comes alive victory over suffering. I thought this was interesting. There's five points that um, psychologi psychologists had researched about the need for heroes. So, and they were talking about how heroes make us smarter. So it says, first of all, heroes teach us how to respond in a crisis situation. Heroes, hero stories illuminate paradoxical life truths. I'll come back to that one. Heroes teach us that their journey is the human journey. Heroes help us develop emotional intelligence. And for instance, um, if you look at like the early fairy tales, um, there's always this, these, they're subjected to these dark foreboding experiences, um, encounters with evil, abandonment, neglect, abuse, death. And then you, you hear these tales of how they have strategies for resolving these fears and distress. How do they deal with it? How do they, they move on? How do they face those things? And if we recognize that we have an enemy that is provoking the suffering, 
what is the suffering trying to stop? I think that's the bigger question. What is the suffering actually trying to stop? Yeah. Versus looking at it as life is suffering. How about this? What is the suffering trying to stop? Why is it holding me under? And why is it trying to make me inferior? What is the suffering afraid of? Do you think if we ask that question honestly and actually look into that and and think about it, that we would be more likely to confront it and endure, as opposed to the normal reaction is to avoid suffering, almost at all costs in, in today. We've got a million things that can medicate suffering, even just from a physical perspective, because you shouldn't have to go through those things. We have, For some reason, we have a mindset where we shouldn't have to go through... It's 2020. We shouldn't have to deal with headaches. We shouldn't have to deal with chronic back pain. You shouldn't have to deal with this. So here's the medication that can ease your suffering and ease your pain. Instead of asking, what is this after? What is the root cause of it for one? What's actually going on? But we've gotten so used to medicating things and just kind of almost sweeping things under the rug to where, you know, I'll deal with it later or it's not that big a deal. It's fine. I can deal with it. And never, never actually looking at it for what it is. Or spending too much time on it. I mean, if you look in the days of old, people struggled with all sorts of stuff. I'm not saying that there isn't an answer to the struggle. I'm not saying don't come up with ideas that free people and liberate them from those things. But sometimes we make that such the focal point as if life itself is getting out of the pains. I'm not saying life is supposed to be painful. I'm not saying God wants you living in pain. I'm I'm just saying if we go deeper, why am I still not doing what is deep in my heart to do because these things are happening? Why am I still not pursuing that? And isn't there isn't there an aspect of it to where and and I would agree it's not that it's not that you're designed to have a life full of pain. It's not that God wants you to have a life full of suffering. It's not that, but there is a reality that there's a world that will be putting suffering on you right now. That's that's what you're in right now. And you can either choose a path of, well, how can I avoid it the most? Or you can choose a path of how do I realize that I have the strength with my father to endure it and to to see a bigger picture and see a bigger goal. It goes back to what we've talked about before, where when it, even when it comes to fear, I can't make fear go away. I can't make you less afraid of something, but I can help you be more courageous and more brave and grow in that. Yeah. And the question would come, well, then why would God just allow suffering? And we can say, well, it was because sin entered the world. But really what entered in the world is man for the first time saw themselves as inferior to what God had actually designed them to be. Not above God, mm-hmm. but inferior to the design God asked them to be. And that was where suffering began the launch. And then men, as a, mankind has actually created most of the suffering that we suffer. If you really just measure true suffering... It's been mostly mankind, but there has to be, we're designed to have something that propels us forward. We're designed to have an inner passion, a desire, because the word passion itself means suffering. That's why they use that term, the passion of the Christ. Hmm. You have to have a deep love to endure to get to the other side. There has to be something deeper. And if I can squelch that, you'll just find a way to medicate what you're in. And that's what Job's friends was trying to get them to do. Job's wife said, just curse Mm -hmm. God and die. Like, 
don't hang on to him. This is what's causing your suffering. If you would just let go of him, you would just could die and be in peace and move on. No, you keep holding on that there's something bigger. He just didn't know what it was till he had the encounter with God, but there was something in him saying, something's worth fighting here. Something's worth moving forward in here. Well, and real, and real quick on Job, I, th- I think that's why, that's why we see him called a steadfast person. And, and there's more we could say on this, but w- when every voice around him, his friends, his wife, when all the people around him were telling him to go one path, his wife was saying, curse God and die. His friends saying, you did something wrong, Job, but you're the problem here. Even though he wasn't, Job himself wasn't seeing the whole picture and he had some wrong perspectives on what was going on. He didn't give in to their word about it. And that was that was his steadfastness. He's he held to the word that he knew or as best as he could, at least. And we can nitpick about how you know he had a flawed perspective and all that stuff. But he didn't give in to the words of other people that were trying to change who he was. That was his steadfastness. Well, don't you find it fascinating? There's this statement uh, by Joseph Campbell, who studied all of the mythological gods of the Greeks and all of that, the different characters. And there's this conclusion that that is in that is embedded into almost all of those stories, and I can see them all in the biblical stories too. Where you stumble, there lies your treasure. And I thought that was very interesting because if you read just read success books or people that have grown a business or done something great, failure was a part of that process. But it was the things they failed at was the thing that actually turned out to be the thing that was a victory. So think about your, even that term Achilles heel. Think about the thing that trips you up the most. Where do you suffer the most? Why is it so dominant right there? What if that is the strength, that is the treasure? Because isn't isn't that what Paul said? Where... uh, um, when I am the weakest, where I'm at the weakest, the place in me that's the weakest, there you've, you're made the strongest. That is when he experienced that. So there is this point, and a lot, and we can get into what how people have used that to define. I'm just using a general general picture. But here's the four the four truths that are found in every hero story. The first one: we must leave home to find home. We must lose ourselves in order to find ourselves. We must surrender to win. We must give up something important to gain something important. So that's, this is a guy that just, he, he's, it's not a Christian author, just he's writing about hero stories. Where else have we heard that before? You can't find yourself, your life, unless you lose it. One of the disciples, Nathaniel says, or one of the disciples says, we want to go find out where you live, then come with me. Like, even Jesus' journey, the disciples had to leave something to go to get something. They had to give up, lay down their life to get something. They had to surrender to their old way of thinking in order to win a new way of thinking. They had to um, give up something that was important to them to gain something that was more important. Those are That's the hero journey. So when we look through characters of those that have done that, it's it's marvelous. Can you find the flaws in their life? Every single one. But I think we just need to change the lens and look at what did they personally overcome and step into 
in spite of that. Mm -hmm. That's the powerful idea. And maybe to stop stop focusing on the the thing that they gave up to to achieve something greater, because we'll get stuck on that. Well, look at what they were. I get that, and it was flawed. But there was a sacrifice that they made, and they gave something up, and they achieved something greater. And yet, we'll just keep our binoculars on that thing, on that flaw, on the thing they gave up, and, and think for some reason, well, they should never have had that flaw in their life. I think ultimately that's an excuse for us to not engage with the, I guess what you could call the heroic process. Because if I can find justification for that, it almost excuses me not engaging in it. Oh, this is so good. And even when we read what Peter writes or what Paul writes or John writes or any of the Old Testament characters write or just things that are written in the Bible, the treasure they talk about, we just don't really connect to. I mean, let's just be honest. If you really sought yeah. it out like a treasure, you would be willing, like if, if you were, a, I mean, think about anything you really pursued at any point of your life. There was something in that that you saw as a treasure. And Peter says something amazing in uh, one of the epistles. He says, we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the power may be of God and not of us. Like, they came to a place of understanding the greatness of that, that what they once had cannot compare to it. And it wasn't just like, none of that bothers me anymore. No, because of this, they can deal with life differently. Like they've discovered this right. treasure and they transformed into that point. They, they transitioned into that place that they discovered that treasure. And I think the question is, what have we how do we fuel that treasure in people? How do we fuel? I, I have been absolutely overwhelmed with intrigue and passion and life in watching these six young people that individually came from different places and came and said, we want to know God. And their passion for it, they don't care what anything else is. They are done with an old way of thinking that is not helping them. And now they want this treasure. And so all we spend time is the treasure of knowing him. And it just fuels them. I don't, I didn't have to make mandatory when you have to come and meet. Here's all the rules. You better start doing this. They're doing, like, you, they're, they're exploding. How do we keep fueling that? How do we keep that? Because that right there was the picture I saw of someone truly stepping out of one thing into another. And to watch that before before my eyes was was powerful. That's good. So may, maybe over the next couple couple episodes, I, I don't want to really focus on suffering per se. I want to focus on that hero's journey because I think we're all heroes, and we need heroes. We have a day and age that we need to see people transcend, regardless of the baggage that they bring. We need to see people transcend, regardless of the weaknesses you had before. We need to see that and to and to capture that and to see that that transition point. We we need more victorious heroes in our current day versus eliminating all of them and making life quote unquote more more uh, stable. And the only way you make it more stable is you lower everybody but you don't care anymore and you become apathetic and we're teaching apathy as the solution to the world. 
and it is not. It doesn't mean go to war and go hit somebody. I'm just saying there should be something deeper that just drives you forward regardless of what the forces against you are doing. We need to see that. And I see that all throughout Scripture and the things that Jesus is asking us to do. Because he asked us the same four, he taught us those four same principles of being a hero. It reminds me of that verse that says, all of creation is groaning for the sons of God to be revealed. And I just think of how timely that is for us today when, when so many things are being torn down, so many things are being rewritten, so many words are being redefined, that what, what, how necessary it is for the sons of God to stand up and who they are, not be ashamed of who they are and what they are, and to walk in that. It just really ties also into Daniel. In the book, in the last uh, several chapters of Daniel, it's talking about these events that would take place on the earth. And um, I don't really talk about end time events that much because um, I'm looking forward to Jesus' return. I'm re- looking forward to my glorified body, but um, I'm not. I don't want to stop moving forward based on events. And so all these things are taking place in in that are about ready to take place. And there's all these horrific things and the oppression of people and all these dynamics are taking place. And right smack dab in the middle of that, talking about what's going to be happening, how evil the people are, all of this, right smack dab in the, in the middle of this whole conversation, this verse in Daniel 11.22 says, but the people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. And then it goes back in. So it, that is that is the amazing thing that in the midst of everything in our world of whether he's returning now whether he's returning in a hundred years whether he's returning in a thousand years the people who know their god shall be strong and carry out great exploits that's heroic so that's this thing that's being i really believe is is being called out of us is step beyond it Step through it, embrace it, go through it, see yourself over here, because your God's with you. That is a perfect place to leave it for this one. And until the next episode, guys, I want keep these things on your mind, and don't just don't just think about them, don't just let them marinate, but actually put some action behind them for what that means for you. Um, we're gonna we're gonna keep this discussion on heroics and history, what that means for us, not just as a history lesson, but how it impacts us. So we're going to keep this discussion going in the next episode. Until then, remember who you are and stay in the fight.